Welcome to World Wide Waste, a podcast about how digital is killing the planet and what to do about it. Jared Spruill is a huge inspiration for me. I struggle to think of anyone I have learned more from over the years about how to do digital design well. Jared is a prolific writer, researcher, speaker and educator. He is super witty and always thought-provoking. He is the founding principal of User Interface Engineering, a research, training and consulting firm that specialises in website and product usability. He's full of ideas here about how to design within a digital world that gives the impression of having no constraints. He talks about the need for new tools and thinking when it comes to making sure we create designs with the best possible earth experience. I guess as humans, we've always had this perspective that that these resources are infinite. And, you know, we, it's a natural thing to just feel like, well, the the things seem to go beyond the horizon, so it must infinitely go beyond the horizon. And uh, the idea that we have constrained resources, I mean, that goes, that type of thinking goes back you know, 50, 60 years where you know, we started to think about, well, actually it's a closed system and we only have so much and we can only use so much. And as a result, um, uh, the, the, the system itself is uh, uh, problematic in that it, it, we will run out of things. And we will consume them, and and uh, and in our case, we will convert them into things that are toxic. And uh, and suddenly, uh, there's concern. But you know, part of the problem is is that it's it's not an immediate crisis, and so we can keep kicking that can down the road and let you know, our children deal with it or our grandchildren deal with it. And, and you know, some people are smart enough to say that's not acceptable. But the reality is that uh, this is, uh, this is, this is something that is not infinite. We can't keep just going down uh, and saying, eh, I know, but I really do like my my animated GIFs. Yeah. And and even people what I find, Jared, is uh that people who will uh, be very conscious and say like I, I try and lead um you know, a, a green life. That's it, you know, I'm you know, conscious and you might even bring my mug, you know, to when I used to go to the coffee shops and stuff like that, and I separate my rubbish and I, I'm conscious of using less plastic, that, you know, many, because uh, many of the people in this profession, in, in UX, are, are a kind of, are, they're more on the green side. They're more in that argument of space that you described of people being, and, and because younger people are more aware of these problems, that it's it's their future that's been, gambled away, so to speak, or being, or, or being consumed away. So there's many people that have a, tr- a rising consciousness of how they interact with the physical world. When they come to digital, they th- seem to think there are no consequences of, you know, having, you know, these, these animated GIFs or these uh, huge images or these, you know, of transferring down massive quantities of javascript when you only need 10% of it or you know it's it's funny or do you find that that you know the the people that we deal with are often the green people in the physical space but when it comes to digital yeah i want my big screen and i want to change my phone every 2 years that we haven't a kind of the penny hasn't dropped so to speak that that everything in digital has an energy cost yeah, no, I think I think that that's right. I think people, you know, it's funny. We have uh, we have this family of rabbits that lives in our yard. So have we. <laughs> and and 
the 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 rabbits have this habit if if they're afraid of you if if they see you and they're afraid of you they'll turn around they won't run away they'll just turn around and it's as if 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 they can't see you now you must be gone <laughs> and i think that 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 humans have this same thing too i mean if 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 i put my phone into the into the rubbish or i put it in, even in recycling it's gone i don't know what happens to it i don't know the downstream effects i don't know uh the what what the toxicity of of the of the materials are i don't know any of that stuff as far as i'm concerned problem solved i i i took it and i put it away and the same is true on the on the supply chain right it it's i don't know what resources go into making my phone i don't know what things have to be mined and what the toxicity of that mining takes for the materials on the phone i don't know what chemicals are leached into the into the groundwater because of the acids that are used to make the parts of my phone i don't know any of that so you know phone comes to me i use it I throw it out and um, I'm basically not seeing any of this. And I think that that's, uh, to some extent, that's a design problem, right? The, the, the people who make these things, even Apple, which, which seems to, Tim Cook seems to be concerned about the environment, seems to want to have this. They have made a big deal about the recyclability of their materials, and they have this program where if you bring uh, dead devices to them, they will take them and in some cases give you cash back for them. Um, and they will definitely, as far as I understand it, uh, recycle responsibly. But I don't really know. Right. It, I, it's still I get a phone. I don't know how it was made. I uh, um, get a uh, uh, I, I deliver my phone back to Apple. I don't know what they do with it. And all those sort of second order effects and beyond are invisible to me. And and when things are invisible that I should know about that should change my behavior. That's a design problem, right? That that's that's a um, uh, a difficult design problem, and it's what we would call a, a an ecosystem scale problem, right? There, there. You can look at the world um, of design. Let's say digital design, because it's it's the world I live in, right? You you can look at it sort of like uh, levels of of a zoom of a camera. Uh, there was this great video. I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, if you Google it, you can find it. Uh, it was created by Ray and Charles Eames in the 60s. It's called Powers of Ten. And uh, if you just Google Eames, E-A-M-E-S, uh, Powers of Ten, you will you will you will find this thing. And the um, uh, it's a simple little seven-minute movie, and it was created for some reason for IBM in the '60s. and And it starts with this couple having a picnic in a park, and the narrator explains that the camera is um, a meter uh, shows a, 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 a an area, a square on the picnic uh, of a meter on each side. And, uh, and you see the couple having their, their little picnic and then the camera zooms out. So now that same square is represents 10 meters on a side. And you can see that the couple who is much smaller is, uh, uh, in a fairly large park. And then the camera zooms out again to a hundred meters. And now what you can see is the, uh, the 
you, you can't really see the couple anymore. They're just a dot in the center. But you can see that the park is actually part of a marina. And it keeps zooming out. You find out that the marina is in Chicago. And then it zooms out to uh, 10,000 meters. And you can see the whole Great Lakes area. And it and it zooms out again to 100,000 meters. And, and, it, and it keeps doing this. And eventually you see, you know, the planet and then the solar system and, and, you know, where the solar system is in the universe. And so, so it keeps doing that. And then it zooms back to the couple and then it zooms in to 10 to the minus 14. And you, you get to see skin cells and, and molecules and atoms. And it, and it basically shows that, that every time you zoom in, you see something different. Um, and we can think of design this way, right? So, you know, when I first started in design, we were focused on screens and just just getting the information on a screen to make sense to somebody who was using it. And that took a lot of work. And then you we we zoomed out and we're like, okay, well, what happens when we have multiple screens in an application? So now we have to not just make sure that every screen makes sense, but we now have to make sure that the flow from one part of the application to the other makes sense. Uh, or if we're building a website, that the website as a whole makes sense. And then if we zoom out again, we start to look, okay, well, what if we have multiple applications or multiple websites or some combination thereof? And we get into what what people refer to as, as service design, right? And and what we're looking here is is we're, we're looking at the interrelationship of, of different digital things and the non-digital things that happen in between. So we can think of this as, as bigger experience design. But if we zoom out one more time, we end up um, looking at multiple systems of apps and non-apps and digital and non-digital. And we get into ecosystems. And the the ecosystem is something that that from the design perspective we don't know a lot about we know how to design for screens we know how to design for multiple screens and apps and websites we know how to design for multiple apps in experiences but we don't know how to deal with multiple experiences that are run by different organizations that have no central source of governance that uh, there is no single decision maker who says this is the experience I want to our our customers or our users to have, so we we we've got all these different organizations and 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 we're because we're dealing with that, um, we don't really know how to design in that space and we don't know how to render our intention. We don't know how to how to uh, make things. Um, uh, make things uh, uh, clear and concise and, and have people behave in the way that's best for everybody involved. And, and that's where I think you've, you've, you've gotten to is this, there's, there are these problems. And one of the interesting things that when I started thinking about this and thinking about my history and design is that when we were just focused on screens, we were completely unaware of the problems of applications and websites. We were not thinking of the problems that happen when we're trying to get multiple screens to work together. It wasn't until we solved most of the problems with screens that we could even see those problems. They were invisible to us, like the rabbit turning their back. They were invisible to us, and, and we couldn't see them. And then when we were working on our apps, and we were getting the apps to flow right. We uh, we had another pro we had a, a set of problems that had to do with well, what happens if we have multiple apps that the same user has to use, or they have to switch between the app and the website, or they have to deal with customer support, or go into the store and then work and find the same item, you know, in their in their digital interface. We we couldn't see those problems until we'd solved the problems of just getting an app to work together. And because our focus was just at that smaller Zoom level. And it's only now that we're seeing these bigger problems that, hey, the choices we make for an image size actually affects our planet 
We could not see that before. And we don't have any tools to deal with that. We don't have any techniques. We don't know what what we're supposed to do. We don't even know how to really detect or measure the problem, right? Can I tell how much energy my image will use? Those tools are very crude right now, at best. And so I can't even weigh my options and make a decision that says, well, the data shows me that going down alternative three is better than alternatives one, two, and four. So even if I have the intention to do the right thing, I don't have any way to tell whether I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, it's a kind of, it's early days in, in the space. Like we're, um, we're carrying out this over audio. Uh, so we, we could have done it say over over video over zoom or whatever but it would have been uh 30 times more energy intensive maybe you know obviously lots of benefits in 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 that but it's a it's it's a podcast and it's going to turn turn out as a podcast right but, and and i have the face for podcasting so it, it works out good the same here. <laughs> you know in in like you know I, I was thinking about those things like that um and it's only in the last year or 18 months that even I, you know, began to think about these ideas that, you know, the, that the amount of weight of an hour of audio is 30 times less than a, a fairly high definition bit of video that, that that would occur. And that that whatever that number is, it, and they say, oh, but it's not a lot of energy, is it? you know, and, and, and uh, proportionately, it, it isn't, you know, a huge, certainly there's much, much, much more energy consumed by driving a car or, 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 or taking a plane. But if you've got a choice uh, to do something that is 30 times less polluting, shouldn't we take that choice if if we're not losing anything else you know in in the process and 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 sometimes we're even gaining because i've seen these studies about how uh, a lot of people feel more stressed in zoom meetings than in normal meetings that that um there's a whole sense of attention that because in a physical meeting you've got all these natural senses coming at you that you're used to a kind of you're used to dealing with you can kind of feel the mood in the room so to speak all these things that you kind of don't have to think about because millions of years we've been doing these things when you're on a zoom call you have to be paying a lot more attention or, or parts of your brain are working a lot harder to understand the mood in the room so to speak or, or the mood that the person that you're talking to so a lot of people are, are are showing a lot of stress and that one of the ways of getting rid of the stress or at least reducing it would be actually uh, sometimes you know moving to audio people are more comfortable with phone calls you know because they're used to them for longer periods but just say thinking about these issues that sometimes the small the lesser digital option can be good for everyone it's not, the, the the high max resolution is not always the best option like it's not always the rolls rice option it, it, we just feel it culturally or or techie wise that if we maximize things that by definition must be the maximum experience yeah i mean it's it's interesting, right? You know, one of my favorite, uh, uh, I don't know if you call them a cartoon or a comic, but whatever it is, uh, uh, is XKCD, right? XKCD.com. And he, he draws these really intelligent uh, scenes completely with stick figures and line art. There's no definition to any of the things that he is drawing or describing. And this is fascinating to me, right? Because all the communication that's necessary is done in this incredibly low bandwidth artwork. And the energy it takes for him to draw it and the energy it takes for me to absorb it and understand it is not... Is, is certainly not more 
than if I'd had something high resolution, and it's probably a lot less. And this, we haven't done a good job of helping people understand that that sometimes simpler is actually more effective, not just in its energy consumption in terms of, you know, electricity and, and resources and things like that, but in its energy consumption in terms of comprehension and communication and the human energy that we have to expound. And I wonder if there's there's a relationship to uh you know the 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 simpler the communication the easier it is on the world that we live in yeah i think that you know the the comic or cartoon that you're talking about i i i definitely remember reading about these issues in in uh design years ago about how you you either stayed simple or you had to go the whole hog in 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 drawing a face you know you had to you you either stayed quite light but if you if you went reasonably good people hated it you know but you, if you if you did the light outlines then humans seemingly had this capacity to fill in the details but if you filled in some of the details uh, you know you didn't you people felt it was less lifelike in some ways. Like yeah, you yeah, you're referring to uh, something which people call the uncanny valley, which is there. There is this point where the more lifelike you make it, the worse it gets, and then and then it transitions. Right then, suddenly it 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 becomes better. But but ninety percent of the way is much worse than eighty percent of the way, um, and so. You, uh, and you know, you see this in in animated graphics and things like that, um, uh, and that that is very true. And I I do remember um, working in in computer graphics in the early days and just seeing all of the energy that was being used to render a single frame of which there's 24 frames in a minute. And so if you have a 90 minute um, uh, full length movie, you're, you're, uh, you're rendering, um, uh, you know, thousands of frames, what is it? 2000, 2160 frames. Uh, 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 I'm sorry. It's, uh, uh, 24 frames in a second, not 24 frames in a minute. So I uh, got to multiply that number times 60 again. And so that brings us to, to uh, uh, 129,000 frames to, to, uh, uh, to make a 90-minute film. Uh, uh, and if each frame, I mean, when I was starting computer graphics, a frame could take uh, a rendering engine which was this massive supercomputer um quality machine uh it could take it 60 or 80 minutes to do right so you're you're burning all this supercomputer technology for just one one hundred thousandth of the of the video and that uh uh that energy the amount of energy that pixar puts into a movie for example it is just incredible and they're great movies. There's no doubt about it. But uh, that's a heavy cost. And, you know, where's that cost get calculated? Whose balance sheet does it show up on? Does it show up on Pixar's? Probably not. And, and you know, it, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult situation. It's a different, and, you know, say, you look at Pixar, great. It's but um, if that's a great film, it's a great film. And you can say there's yeah, it's a trade off. There's an energy trade off. But 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 what you what I finding when I was doing the research for the book was statistics like that would say that ninety percent of data is never accessed three months after it's created. That we're we're creating tremendous quantities of of waste in the digital landscape that that has no 
use. Like the Pixar movie brings entertainment and joy. And, and I know that Netflix had to throttle their bandwidth by about 25% during the pandemic because there were consequences of, of you know, stresses on the electrical network and, 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 and other networks, etc. In, in the environment. But that at least you can say, well, they, they're, that's entertainment and humans need entertainment. But it seems that in digital, we produce enormous, for every one good thing we do, we do nine absolutely useless things, you know, that that um, this sense of extraordinary um, frivolity or, or lack of lack of care that you've got you've got nine pieces of bread or 10 pieces of bread on the table and you eat one of them and you just let the rest of them you know go off because you don't care like you know there seems in this whole digital landscape that lacking in constraints we're so we so lack the consciousness we create 40 different wireframes and we store them and you know we'll we'll edit the image a hundred times and we'll have 99 saved versions of that edited image and we don't even think about and that'll all go up into the cloud and you know and it's getting worse because if, if you store on a hard disk versus you store in the cloud it's about 3,000 times more energy intensive to store in the cloud than to store in a hard disk so it's like our it's like we're exponentially getting more wasteful like digital is just exploding in its in its lazy consumption and frivolous consumption of energy yeah you remind me of a project we worked on back in the early 2000s where uh we were working with the team at microsoft on on microsoft.com on the on the developer network right so this is all the material that's created for developers and we were working on some of the early content strategy stuff there and and they they did a uh an inventory of um of the content that was sitting on their servers waiting for people outside microsoft to request it and they found at this point, they've had millions of pages, but they found that they had 800,000 pages that had never been requested once by anybody. The, the, they never, I mean, even the robots didn't go and, and walk through it to find links, right? It was just, it was just content that was sitting there that, that, nobody had ever accessed you know uh uh how to how to connect a ax, uh uh an excel uh spreadsheet to a, a a database that lives on a univac 1011 or some other wacky documentation and uh uh no one had ever asked for this and so all of that was waste. There was waste in its creation. There was waste in its storage. Uh, there was waste in in us having to find it and figure out what to do with it. Um, all of it. <laughs> totally. And, you know, but there's the culture, um, I think the culture of production. Now, interestingly, I've heard, I'm not sure if it's absolutely true, but that Microsoft have really tried to change their culture and it, it can take years that historically it was like I remember talking I, I've done a lot of work with Microsoft over the years as well and talking to technical writers in there and saying saying Jerry we agree with you because I, I saying the same things you're saying about the 800,000 pages and stuff like that and similar I was discovering similar similar type of stuff and they say but like if I go go to my boss on, on Friday and she asked me, you know, what did I do on Friday? This technical writer said to me, and I say, well, I deleted uh, 600 pages. Uh, she'll maybe smile and look at me and she said, but what did you do? Uh, you know, in other words, what did you create? Like right. the, the fact that you've deleted 600 pages, well, that's nice to know, but, but what work did you do? Um, and, and seemingly from what I hear within Microsoft, it's, it, they've changed that model of how 
they actually uh, do their individual performance reviews. And they've now created three elements of the review, each getting equal uh, weight or equal part of your bonus or your career move. And, and the first third is, well, what did you do in the last six months? What, what did you create? Uh, we'd like to hear about that and tell us what you, tell us what you did. But the second third uh, of the review is, what did you reuse? So what did what did uh, what did you go out and find and discover and reuse and did you oh I I I found this sign up or this you know form or whatever this gizmo that that John Smith had created and I integrated it into the into the e-commerce flow oh that's that's what they're looking for the, the reuse of things right that have already been created and the third part of the of the bonus or the individual performance is what did you share? So what what of what you created has been reused or has what evidence have you got of the stuff that you've created that it was actually useful? And I think that that somehow to me that's constantly in my mind that we if we can change the model of how we reward or how we you know like i was talking to people in in google and i say you know their years ago and they were saying oh google's just becoming like every other organization it's launch and leave you want your career to progress in google you launch a project doesn't matter whether it's good bad or indifferent you launch a product and then you leave the position and get and, and move up the chain before it collapses or whatever and and that you know google's just like 90 percent of other organizations where we reward the production of things uh, in and I think if we could somehow change the culture of, you know, it's not just about the production of things. You're not a a great yeah, fella if you've produced all this stuff. You're actually a great person, a great woman if you've if you've reused stuff. Like it's it, that's clever to reuse and it's clever to share, you know, because I think the you put your finger on it near the beginning that this is human. Like I grew up on a farm, a small little farm in Ireland and everybody, you know, judged everybody else by how many acres you had uh, and how many sheep you had and how many cattle you had. And, and the more cows you had and the more sheep you had, the better you were. So, I mean, if, if we got an opportunity to have more land, we, we, we'd always take it. And a kind of land is like, gigabits. You know, a gigabit is like an acre of land. And who's going to refuse another acre of land? You know, so we've got this, even though we may look cool and have got, you know, great haircuts and fancy shoes and say all the right words, we seem to still behave like we're small farmers desperately trying to have more sheep and more acres. Yeah. You're, you're, um, you're right. We, as a culture, we measure. I mean, we talk about things in terms of creation of wealth, creation of value, and and the word creation is just thrown around. Um, uh, it is. It is not. We don't ask the question. Uh, how do we better utilize what we've already created? How do we, how do we make uh, a better, uh, better choices? And how do we take advantage? And you know, the real heroes shouldn't be the people who've invented something new. The real heroes should be people who took something old and repurposed it in a way that gets more value out of it. But you don't you don't hear about that. That's not how people are rewarded in organizations. That's not how uh, uh, we hold up the the shining stars of of the world. We, 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 we you know, th that's treated as if, well, someone would have figured that out. It's inevitable. It's not it's not like, you know, inventing a, a a a new type of of uh, software, or a new type of product, or you know, how do we how do we use the things that already exist? 
Yeah, and and how do we like? You, as you said, create and you know who's who's the smartest? Who's the smartest in the room? Oh, the creative. <laughs> you know, it's the 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 very act of creating is absolutely the genius. You know, it's right. not as as you say the person who added two and two together or, or, or brought, like, I think, you know, many of the great geniuses have said, you know, they, they weren't really creatives, they were connectors. You know, the, the connector who, um, you know, brings things together, uh, but, but, but we culturally reward and, and th those who create and produce and i think in in design i don't know how we 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 get this because we we need to s address these problems because if you look at growth you know so uh, the, and the concepts of growth like if you look at in most natural systems uh, uh, natural systems grow for a certain period and then they stop growing. They they reach a stability and they lay, stay like that for most of their lives. And it and if if growth continues, you call it cancer. You know, in many ways, you know, in in a bodily living system, if too much growth uh, occurs, and our our growth it seems requires the death of the planet, the the slow death of the planet. Like in every year. Um, in the United States uh, uh, is required 200,000 trees just for the packaging to deal with e-commerce returns. Mm. 200,000 trees just for e-commerce returns. And it, and what has happened in digital, and this is something that really disturbed me because, uh, you know, I thought, I, I, make it easy, make it easy. Like we, we've made e-commerce returns so easy that people return three times as much as they used to uh, when, you know, they um, uh, were buying in physical stores. We make it so easy. We make things so easy that people are buying five times as much clothes and they're wearing them ha half as long, and and the the quantity of clothes has been dumped every year is ex is extraordinary. And they did a study of UK teenagers uh, there about four or five years ago, and they found that on average, on average, there was two items in their closet that they'd never even worn. You know, so we've we've created this easy culture that that. You know, and how do we get out? Of, and I know I'm jumping around a bit, but one idea I had was was around. Let's say you're you're in the e-commerce flow, and you're the, the option of delivery. And the first delivery says what one, one day. There's two options, and it, and it's one day, and it's three day, uh, is the second one. So imagine we changed it from one day to green delivery, because. If you if you deliver in one day, and certainly if you deliver in an hour, that's hugely more wasteful for for all sorts of reasons. You need higher stock. There'll be more stress on the driver. They'll be driving faster. More congestion. More accidents. Uh, all if you've got food, you'll have a lot more waste. All, all sorts of problems start kicking in when you speed up delivery. But if you said instead a three day delivery, you said green delivery because. That allows you to optimize. Right. Yeah, I think there's something to that. I think that 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 I mean, that reminds me of the there was a switch that that. States made. Um, on. Uh, uh, driver's licenses where they would they would give you the option to donate your organs. And they changed it from being uh, opt in to being opt out. You you know, in, when you've applied for your license, instead of saying yes, I'd like my organs to be delivered, you would say actually no, I'd prefer that my organs not be donated at the end and not be reused. And the they found that there was this dramatic jump in people opting for organ donation uh when they uh when they were were uh opting out and that uh that change 
uh, is huge. And so what you know what you're talking about makes a lot of sense because you could give people the option to opt out of the more expensive, uh, uh, more difficult, and opt into something that that is more effective for them. So something akin to to the not only do you give people this option for green, which communicates much more effectively the environmental benefits, but you make that the default and they have to explicitly say, no, I want to not be green. I want to to get the faster delivery. Yeah, yeah, that that would be another design advancement. You, you put green delivery first, and and it's the box that's ticked, and they have to untake it. A kind of an in, but these, you know, th- these sorts of, you know, ideas or concepts of have you seen anything like that of of where you know where there's a you know some things that uh, and and of course it goes against so much in e-commerce that doesn't want you know who's going to say do you really need this product well i would i would point to patagonia as an organization that has done this really well i mean they sell a product that is substantial they sell products that are substantially more expensive than their competitors products and they don't sell them on features or benefits directly of the product they sell them on uh Patagonia's commitment to protecting the environment. And they have a program, uh, which I'm sure you're aware of, uh, where uh where they encourage people not to buy new jackets. They encourage people to send the jackets back to them, and they've created uh uh facilities all over the world to actually repair the jackets and send them back at a much cheaper cost than uh, purchasing something new. And this is a really interesting tack, right? They have an opportunity, if your zipper breaks, for you to go out and buy a new jacket or if you punch a a hole in the the down to to go out and, and sell you a new jacket. Uh, because you you destroyed the old one. But instead, they're saying, no, no, send us back the jacket. We will patch it. We will fix the zipper. We'll do it at almost no cost to you. And what's fascinating about that is that that forces them to to rethink the materials they use, right? Because when they see all these repairs coming back, for which they have to, to um, hold the burden of the cost, of repairing it, suddenly they're like, well, we could just engineer it better. We could design it better and we can make it a better thing. They, they've gone to great lengths and they're also very transparent in where they source their materials from and how the, the materials affect. They occasionally will discontinue something because there's no way to e- environmentally uh, make it anymore. Uh, uh, They're not happy with the environmental costs of it. So they have, they have, they have gone to this. And as a result, there's a whole audience of people who will pay the extra money to Patagonia uh, to get products because of their commitment to, to making it. So one of the things in design that we can design for is this notion of meaning. People, if they understand how the decisions that they make are making the world better for other people, they that's that's basically the definition of meaning, you know. And if I and I will buy something because it's somehow improving other people's lives. And this is one way to do that is to look at the the effects on the planet and the lives of everybody who lives on the planet, which, you know, as far as I can tell, is all of humanity. Well, again, it's a communication thing. You know, the perception of more has always been uh, uh, it's sort of the the cheap way for us to measure progress. Right. 
you know, we have more sheep, we have more land, we have more cars, we have more uh, um, people who work for us. You know, people measure things in terms of 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 numbers and we have more resolution. We have more, you know, t LEDs in our television screen. We have we have uh, um, more miles that we can travel. Uh, and it's it's this sort of natural cheap um uh uh cheap way of 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 being able to rank of being able to to put somebody on the top and somebody on the bottom and figure out our place in the world and uh but it's not meaningful right you know how many letter e's did you read yesterday did i read more than you from of the number of letter e's i mean that seems like a stupid thing to measure but you know measuring the number of cars i own or measuring the number of pixels in my tv is that any better what what and particularly as you say when we get beyond human perception to even discern the difference between a 4K TV and an 8K TV, you know, what's the point? Um, uh, there are places where that difference is discernible, right? If I take if I take an 8K image, if I take a 4K image and I uh, uh, blow it up to the size of a movie theater screen. I can start to see where the pixels are. So an 8K image actually allows me to, to not see that difference. So there is something discernible when we work at that scale. Um, but 99% of the time, we're not viewing things at, uh, uh, at, at that type of resolution. And so, so there's a, there's a question. Why, why are we doing that? Um, you're, this conversation is reminding me of a project that was done by MIT in the 1980s and 90s uh, by the Media Lab, where they, they felt like you were going to run into problems with resolution. They were actually worried about this space stuff, now that I think about it, and how much space it would take to store these higher resolution things. And came up with this different idea, which was, imagine uh, a sports game, a football game. And one way to communicate the football game is to, is to take these high-resolution uh, images and transmit them all over the world and store them and do all these things and all the energy costs that we're talking about. But what we're doing is we're basically snapping each frame of the game, 30 frames per second. We're snapping each frame and we're, we're um, storing it uh, uh, separately. And that, that's what costs us. But a football game is basically a field that doesn't change and a bunch of players on the field that do change. So what if we just recorded each player once and then used computational effects to figure out what the changes are? And all we have to communicate is the change in the position and, and form of the player. You know, are they facing this direction? Have they raised their arm? Are they, uh, have they moved uh, a meter to the left? You know. We, we, we keep that and we transmit that. And it turns out the amount of energy and the amount of work to communicate those differences once you calculate them uh, is cheaper. And so that was the thinking in the 80s and 90s. Fast forward to 2010, 2015, somewhere in there, where games like World of Warcraft, these massive games, are uh are are being played and it turns out that 
that same technology is being used effectively because they um, uh, it was too expensive to transmit to render and transmit a graphic image for the game scene 30 times per second that has the players going through their motions. Instead, you used the local computers to do the rendering of this information, which is just this player has moved over here and has changed the position of their sword to swipe through this character. And it would just send these instructions to the local machine that would render it. The problem with that was that it didn't actually solve the energy problem because instead of having a single rendering point, it has now hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, millions of rendering points. Every user of World of Warcraft has to have a rendering engine, which is using all this energy to create the graphics at the resolution that feels, quote, realistic, unquote, that uh, uh, makes the gameplay interesting. And so you've, you've actually made the problem worse. Um, so there's, there's, there are these pros and cons to, you know, yeah, we can create a lot of digital data, but, or we can create the, the, the lowest form and spend the time, uh, rendering it. Uh, that's problematic. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but at least um, we're thinking about, you know, what you framed is an energy conversation. Say, in in your, could you see yourself with your student? I don't know how the world is going to pan out or play out, but in center, center or whatever that that in, in the future or whenever you'd be teaching, you're saying, well, okay. Well, let's have a session on, 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 on Earth experience, or, or, or the environmental costs, or the energy. Like, how do we, how do we get a AAA energy design here, guys and girls? You know, how do we, you know, we got we've we've AAA or quadruple A uh, dishwashers. How do we get a a quadruple A uh, app and, and website, come up with ideas about, you know, oh, we could, you know, we don't need this amount of JavaScript going down every time, you know, that we actually get at least part of the brain, part of the time of designers begins to go into the space of, you know, how how do I turn this into a triple A AAA energy efficient uh, design? Yeah. yeah. I think the problem is that we don't, we don't have any tools for that, right? It's really interesting now that you mention this because we've only recently, say in the last two or three years, had tools where uh, designers could measure the performance of their applications, where they could um, look at an application and say, uh, how, how long does these parts of the application, how long does it take to render uh, this image? How long does it take to download all the frameworks that I have? How long does it take to to uh, load this code? And um, and what does that look like if I have a low bandwidth phone um, or a connection that's pretty poor? Do I can I get something on the screen? And once we had the tools to measure it, all these incredible strategies like ghost screens. It's a technique. You've seen it a thousand times, but you don't know you've seen it, where the application pretends to draw something that looks like the data, but it's just little gray boxes while it's waiting for the rest of the page to load. It allows it to actually load the application a little slower, giving the impression that uh, progress is happening. And it's a perceived progress indicator. And the the uh, uh, but we only got to 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 that point when we had the tools to measure, and what we're missing, and what the challenge is, is can we create tools that say I've got two design decisions: design decision A and design decision B. Which one is better for the environment? Can I get an accurate assessment? And all the pieces of the environment, 
you know, the creation, the rendering, the storage, the recycling, the the deterioration effects. What uh, um, what are the total costs to the environment? I think that's where we need to focus is in the tools to measure, because if we have the tools to measure, then we can be making informed decisions. Until then, we're just sort of going on gut feel and anecdotal data and some mythology. You know, I'm sure people believe that that if you use one color in your image, it actually takes less storage or uses less energy than another color in your image. I mean, there's all this mythology that doesn't turn out to be true, but these things spread. You know, after all, here we are the day after the, the, the president of the United States is suggesting that people ingest and it, uh, inject disinfectants into their bodies to kill pandemic viruses. It, there's no science behind this, but unfortunately, now the president of Lysol has to put out a, a press release and hold a press conference saying, yeah, this would be a bad idea. Nobody should do this. That's the time we live in. And so we, we, have, we have mythology and misinformation floating around. How do we get some actual facts around energy consumption and environmental impact of the decisions we're making? And that's the key thing. But, then we, but that will only get us so far. Because, for example, we have that for some climate change stuff and nobody's acting on it because, you know, it's, it's like, well, the world will suffer in 2050, which is still 30 years away. It's like, well, OK. That's 2050. That's not uh, 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 that's not today. But the problem is in 2050, we won't be able to undo the damage that we did today. So we need tools that not only um, measure, but explain that if we don't act today, we actually make things worse. And, and like uh, thinking about your Patagonian um, example, and, you know, and I wonder what role design could play in making old things cool. You know that oh you got a jacket yeah my, it was actually it was my father's jacket or my brother handed it down to me oh ah, that's so cool and and look at all the patches on you know that that you know it's 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 a noteworthy thing it's you know rather than you're 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 poor you must have lost your job during the pandemic you know um, it, it's it's a sign of of sophistication. Yes. No. I mean, what you're talking about is is basically an aspect of culture, and culture does change slower than fashion. Um, uh, an aspect of culture which changes the reward system, right? Because what people react to are rewards, and uh, if 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 you get a raise, if people around you get raises and promotions because they've created new things, you're going to want to create new things. Um, that's the reward that you get for success. Um, the the uh, so you know when we are talking to teams about changing organizations. We start with, well, what are people rewarded for? If you, if, you, if you want to design something better and the team is rewarded for shipping fast, well, shipping fast is inevitably going to game the system to produce worse design because design takes time. Design has, requires that we slow down. Um, and I think that's what you're talking about with things like the slow food movement, which is basically saying it's cool to go slow. When you say it's cool to go slow, what you're saying is you'll be socially rewarded for taking the longer route. So uh, we have to focus on the reward system. We have to say, how are people rewarded? And to some extent, that's, that's what things like the Paris uh, Treaty was trying to do. It was trying to say, uh, because there are anti-rewards, right? The opposite of a reward is a tax. So we can put taxes on expensive use. 
and we can reward you monetarily with the absence of the tax for more effective use. And uh, if you do that, you will benefit uh, uh, better. We have to look at that reward system closer and design those rewards. And that's that's part of this sort of ecosystem, multi-organization design thing where we don't have a lot of tools and we don't understand the design problems well. But if we can do that, we can we can make change. And we'll finish now soon, but you've triggered just a final thought. So coming back, returns is bad, right? E-commerce returns is bad for everybody, even the, the consumer. Nobody, it's a hassle to return stuff. You know, it's you, you, as easy as you make it. And, and probably there's some guilt there that you're returning stuff as well. So imagine if a, a design manager says in a in an e-commerce environment or says to you, hey, Jared, you know, I want you to help us uh, reduce. We've got a returns rate of, of, of 20 percent. Right. And and in physical stores, it's about 8 percent or, or so on. Typical. So I want to create something that works for everyone. But I, I, I believe that digital can help you make such a good decision, you know, in the choice of the thing that you want to buy, that we would have a 4% return rate because we would have such, and I don't know whether that's true personalization or whatever, but that shouldn't digital have, you know, because of the knowledge and the data and the big data and stuff like that, have a capacity that that helps people make even better decisions than they used to make in the physical store, because essentially a return is a failure of the sales rep, of, of the consumer, of, you know, a return is not a good thing for anybody right. in the environment. And can we say that, you know, you're saying that, hey, hey, young you know people here, I need you to come up with it, help me come up with a design that uh, the, a side effect, maybe it's not the driving objective, but we're going to help the customer in such an extraordinary way choose the thing that is so right for them you know that the return rate is going to be even lower than in physical stores imagine if we could do something like that in in a design process everybody the company would be more profitable the customer would have a product that they totally love because they've no desire to return it and and it's it's a fantastic and the earth would feel great because, you know, not alone is returns to take 200 million trees a year. Many of those return products end up in the dump. They they can't be reused. So looking at that sort of product, do you think that could be a, a kind of, how would you bring design thinking to that problem? Well, I think I think that's what, what, what you do. What you have to do is you have to set down the rule that you're not allowed to pass the cost of returns onto your customer because you're you're just kicking that down the road. So if you're not passing the cost of return onto the customer, you have to bear the burden of the return. You have to pay, in essence, a tax for handling the return. You have to dispose of it and you have to pay for that disposal and you have to you have to uh, deal with it. And in my guess, what will happen, because that's to some extent what what Patagonia, the CEO of Patagonia did when he he said, look, we're we're going to start owning returns and and convincing people not to return our products. And he uh uh his approach was that uh we're gonna use our innovation to do this. Where, where we've seen this work really effectively is in the automobile industry of all places. Because to be competitive, automobiles back in the in the 80s started, the automobile manufacturers, at least in the United States, I don't know if they do this in Europe, but I, they do this in the United States, started offering uh, free uh, uh, warranties for the first few years, this was a 
a reaction of the American auto manufacturers. Chrysler did it first. They had like 3,000 miles or three-year warranty. Uh, 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 no, you will not pay for any repairs. And um, they will pay for all of it. And then uh, General Motors came out and said, well, if you're doing this, we're going to go 4,000 miles in four years. And uh, and then Toyota came out and said, well, we're going to do 5,000 miles in five years. And, the, and they got in this bidding war over how long the warranties were and how long the... Um, uh, the number of miles that, that you were warranted for were. And what happened when they did that was uh, the companies realized how much repairs were costing them. And they started engineering vehicles that needed less repair. And they were making in vehicles that uh, ran longer. And uh, uh, didn't need to be replaced as often. And because they were running longer and they didn't need to replace, they could actually raise the price of the vehicle. And so, uh, so they, they, they created this virtuous cycle by getting in competition with each other. If you, and that's a reward system, right? You, you, and so if, if, if we could do something similar with returns, and say, you don't have to pay for products that are returned. We will deal with that. And you create the burden on the company. They don't just pad their prices to deal with the returns. They actually have to pay a tax on returns. Then companies are going to go out of their way to not get returns. And part of that will be building better quality things that don't require returning. If you're interested in these sorts of ideas, I've published a book called Worldwide Waste. You can find out more at jerrymcgovern.com slash www. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you'd like to be part of the conversational community, hop on over to thisishcd.com where you can join the Slack community and help shape future episodes and connect with other designers around the world. Or join the HCD newsletter, where you can win books and get updates. Subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And listen to any of our design podcasts, such as Getting Started in Design, Bringing Design Closer with Jerry Scullion, ProdPod with Adrian Tan and Ethnopod with Joe Hasbrook. Thanks for listening and see you next time.